Welcome to the Shift Happens podcast, where we explore the latest trends and insights in the digital workplace. From the role of AI in the workplace to the future of remote work, we cover it all. Tune in as we chat with industry leaders and experts. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just getting started in the digital landscape, we've got you covered. Subscribe to Shift Happens wherever you listen to podcasts and stay ahead of the curve. Shift Happens Podcast. In this episode, we'll learn how the McDonough School of Business at Georgetown University is delivering rich, interactive virtual experiences for its MBA program during the pandemic. For Shelly Heinrich, an Associate Dean and Business School's Director of Marketing, this involves a lot more than just moving lectures online. It's also about shifting recruitment tactics, maintaining a pipeline of critical information for current students, and reimagining job fair and alumni events that used to take place on campus. Pulling this off, as Shelly will tell us, requires close collaboration and a personal touch. Ready for class? Let's get schooled together. Hey everyone, welcome back to Shift Happens Podcast and thank you for listening. I'm your host, Dr. Raymond Sai, Chief Brand Officer at AppPoint, Modern Workplace Professional, Microsoft Regional Director and MVP. For today's episode, I'm so excited to be joined by Shelly Heinrich, Associate Dean of MBA Admissions and Director of Marketing at Georgetown University. Shelly, thank you, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, so excited. Thanks for having me. Well, Shelly, first and foremost, can you tell us about your role at Georgetown University McDonough School of Business? Yeah, wonderful. So I've been at Georgetown just over six years. So I manage the admissions, recruitment, and marketing for the full-time MBA and part-time MBA, which is our Flex MBA. Um, So we have a decentralized marketing approach where everything from the time a person is starting to think and discover and learn about the MBA all the way until when they enroll, my team is is responsible for. Got it. So so from a traditional marketing from any organization, you look at how do you generate awareness, drive the brand, and hopefully engage others, get people interested, and in the end, sign up for the program, right? Correct. Definitely. You know, the, the business school industry, if you want to call it that, or the business school sector is, is highly competitive. There's a lot of great schools out there. Um, and, and so our goal is to really educate people on what is a significant investment, right? So it's not just, you know, buying a consumer product good that will be consumed in a, in a day or two. You know, they are investing a significant amount of time and money, and they're only going to do it once, right? They're only going to choose an MBA once. And so they want to make the right decision. And oftentimes, you know, they're leaving their job to come and pursue it. They're moving across the world. And so it is a big decision uh, process. And so our goal is to provide them with, with as much information as possible, both on what the experience will be, but also what the return on investment will be post-MBA. And Georgetown has been around since 1789. I mean, it's literally a centuries-old institution, Prior to COVID, the model for education hasn't really changed throughout that time. You know, it's still a professor at the front of the room and group of students in the back. So can you tell me about the process of trying to drive change for such highly respected institution throughout the past couple months or, or some example of things that you need to work through to adapt to this new normal we're in? Right. It is interesting. You know, education is fascinating in that the, the, the way that we have delivered education frankly, throughout the world hasn't changed that much, right, over, over, over decades or even centuries. 
Um, it is a student professor model. Now, certainly there's been evolution, and, and um, but in general, it has stayed pretty much the same. My role is in admissions and recruitment, and our business model is to meet students. We work with them, we engage with them, we speak with them, and we do that best in person. And, you know, I've always had a very innovative philosophy within our team. Um, my my own personality and leadership style thrives on innovation. And, and, you know, I've always said just because we've done something in the past doesn't mean we have to do it in the future. So, you know, this year was a prime example where we had to innovate um, and we had to change. And luckily, the, the team that I work with is amazing and they embrace that that change. And, and so, you know, education has been slowly trickling technology into the classroom, you know, things like analytics, AI, machine learning. They were a strategic initiative of the dean prior to COVID, but COVID then didn't give us a choice on the time frame. COVID said deliver virtually and do it now if you want to survive. You know, as an edu- education institution, we couldn't just close our doors. We had students in the middle of degree programs. So we really, we came together as a team, we embraced problem solving, uh, and we knew we had to do it. And people had positive attitudes, which was exciting because um, I think they, they love the community and they love Georgetown. And especially for your role and your team, right? Recruitment, like you said, a big part of it, it's being there in person, showing the campus, uh, doing get-togethers around the world, showcasing the school, answering questions. So can you share some examples of some of the things that shifted that used to be in-person when you were doing recruitment, now it's virtual? And as best you can, how how did you make it work? Or is is the experience almost the same? Yeah. So, you know, I think I remember it was March 12th or March 13th. We literally, it was, a Friday. <laughs> right, it was that Friday, we literally packed our bags and we thought we were coming back in two weeks, um, but we haven't been back since from a staff standpoint. And we had to do a 180 degree shift. So if you think about it, you know, people have to take a, a standardized test to get into an MBA program. They have to take a GMAT or a GRE. Um, testing centers were closed around the world. So people couldn't even physically get in to take tests. Um, it, it took a couple of months for you know, GMAC and ETS um, to start delivering tests online, but they weren't, it wasn't perfect. And so we had to say, wow, we cannot penalize students if they physically can't take the test. They want to come to business school, but they don't have an option. And so we had to step back and say, okay, what are other options? And so we started taking you know, the LSAT, we took the MCAT, we took the PCAT, we took expired test scores. Um, and then we did offer waivers uh, last summer for people who just absolutely couldn't take the test. I mean, I had a, a student who was living in, I think it was the Dominican Republic, and he called me and said, look, I'm about to fly to Mexico to take the test. And I said, you're flying to Mexico in the middle of a pandemic to take the test? I said, this this doesn't seem reasonable, right? Like, let's think of other ways that we can uh, assess your application. And so, you know, testing accessibility was was just one. I mean, we did a we did a, a ton of um, different shifts. I'm happy to talk more about them, but but that was one of the ones that hit us really quickly. Got it. And then what about some of the earlier stages of recruitment? So prior to the test taking, uh, just showing off the campus or having a one-on-one meeting, doing an assessment of a potential candidate, what shift took place? Yeah. So I remember this clearly. Um, our, our biggest sell weekend of the year, as we call it, is, is called Welcome Weekend, um, where we bring our round two students who have been admitted. It is our largest group of students. Um, we bring them to campus for two days and they, they fly in from around the world. We have people come from all countries for this weekend. And when the pandemic hit, that event was two weeks away. 
Um, and I mean, we pull out all the stops for this weekend. We have caterers, we have alumni, we have, I mean, it's huge. And so our team had to sit down and say, okay, we can no longer do this in person. How do we uh, sell the program? Like, how do we sell um, this experience virtually? And, um, you know, what is typically a two and a half day event, we decided people don't want to sit on Zoom for two and a half days. Um, we won't get it. We won't, people will not stick with us. So we had to condense it into one day. We had to go back to all of our events and say, which ones were the priority? Like we can't do two and a half days worth of events. What do people need to know? But how can we also make it fun? How can we show the energy and community? And so um, so I, I think we pulled it off. I think it was a great event, but it definitely was different. You know, the, the one thing that was interesting, so that was our big sell weekend, but then we also do monthly information sessions. And there's typically, you know, 100, 120 people that will show up on our campus monthly for an information session. Um, which is great. It's a good amount of people. Um, so we, but we hosted our first virtual one in May of last year and we had over 500 registrants. Wow. We were blown away. And my first thought when I heard that was, wow, we've been doing this wrong all along. Like maybe we should have been doing this virtually the whole time. Um, so, but what it showed us was, wow, we could accept access people, you know, there were no borders, you know, the internet has no borders. And so we would have people calling into these information sessions from all over the world to say, you know, I, I can't afford a flight for an information session, but I can log in. And so I think it's interesting. And perhaps it's also helped us contribute to the you know 30% increase in applications we've seen for round one this, this September. So, so sounds like since you started at like that example, right, last year, prior to COVID, Sounds like you do have some uh, tech infrastructure to support all that. So throughout this past couple of months, is there any other new technology that you had to roll out or or perhaps even expand or strengthen some of your technology investment? Yeah, so you, the university already had an enterprise like Zoom or uh, account with Zoom. And so, you know, we were using it mainly just for internal meetings or when we were traveling. But in a matter of literally a week, our professors... Uh, when we went virtual, had to learn how to transfer, transform their very engaging classroom experience into Zoom. Um, they had to do it on the professor side, right? Because we're in the middle of the semester. Students have to graduate. They have to continue to deliver content. Yet some of these professors had never used Zoom before. Um, and even if they knew how to log in to Zoom, you know, how do you uh, teach a class on Zoom? So how do you in use the Socratic method uh, in case study analysis? How do you put people into breakout rooms? How do you get engagement? How do you see who's listening and not listening or who understands or not understands? So uh, it, was a, it, was a, it was a challenging time, but professors knew that there was no other option, right? They had, they had to do it. They had to learn um, because we had a job to do. And in, in, in that right there is the tough part, right? Well, some of us may think, especially for me, I'm working in IT, it's like, how hard could that be, right? Just log into Zoom turn on your video, turn on your mic and you're done. But now if we just keep talking, it's like going back to the didactic way of doing it. But like you said, you need engagement, you need to spur interest. So now how do you do polls? How do you do testing? How do you do group work? In some ways, not only do the professors need to use this tool, but they're now also tech support, right? I've seen this with my kids going to school. I, I, I My heart goes out to all the teachers is, they're now serving as tech support as well. Yeah, I mean, our, our, our IT team, I mean, goodness, they worked overtime. Um, and not only overtime in the spring. So I think in the spring, it was kind of like patchwork it, band-aid it, make it work. 
But then over the summer, we have a group within Georgetown called Candles who really led our professors through intense trainings on best practices and not only using the technology, but in delivering a virtual education experience up to the quality of what Georgetown students would expect. Because in any industry that you are working in in COVID, I think people expected that March, April, May, everyone was figuring it out, right? But then there's a greater level of expectation, fast forward to August and September, where people now expect that you should kind of know what you're doing. You know, you should know how to work these things. You know, we are customers that expect our our service. So there definitely was a lot of effort put in this summer to, to training our professors, best practices, different ways to use the technology. So how about your uh, internal communication collaboration as employees of Georgetown? Did that change? Uh, I would expect prior to COVID, you had in-person meetings or workshops that you do. Like you said, during the summer, you had training. So how did that change during COVID? Did you do more? Did you do less? Did you rely more on technology as you have? Yeah. So, you know, our team, because we travel so much in general as a team, we, you know, at at any given time in the year, probably a third of our team is on the road. And so we, we definitely were used to kind of that hybrid work environment. However, what I would say that we learned through this is that we had to communicate more and often and often wasn't enough, you know, and we had to communicate internally. So the Dean constantly communicating to staff through town halls, us constantly communicating with our prospective students, as well as our current students, you know, people that were enrolled. And, and, you know, I think at some point we were doing town halls, maybe once a month or once every three weeks. And we learned that was not enough. They, you know, students almost wanted every week or every other week town halls, even if it was to say that we didn't have an update or we didn't know what was going to happen. They just wanted to know that we were still there and they wanted to know that we were still working on determining what the solution was. And, you know, obviously the solution in hand was what was the fall semester going to look like? Were we going to be in person? Were we going to be virtual? What was it going to look like? And so, you know, we, we had to communicate a lot and um, we had to be ready to, to take tough questions on the spot. Uh, we had to be willing as senior leaders to say, we don't know, but we will try to find out or we will advocate for you. And then that required us internally to have more meet- meetings. So just to give you an example, our, our senior staff meeting, we used to have you know once a month. That moved to weekly. And then there's four associate deans, um, myself and three other people in the MBA program. We used to meet once a week. We started meeting three times a week. And, and it was because it was needed. We, we needed that constant flow of information. So, yeah, um, but you learn and adapt. So Absolutely. And it, it's so different from any other organizations, be it an educational institution like yours. I, I recall, again, when March hit, we, we used to have a town hall every quarter just to update the state of our business, where our CEO talks to 1,500 of my colleagues around the world. But as soon as town hall hit... Every week, we recorded short video updates, and then we had monthly town halls. Like you described, senior leaders now met every week instead of every two, three weeks. And it's a good thing because that discipline and that routine uh, is the new normal. That's what we do, especially we don't see each other face-to-face. Right. Now, is there anything that uh, you miss, especially working with your team or doing recruitment, that you know, in your mind, we can never replace this with virtual or technology. Hello, Shift Happens podcast listeners. I have an exciting offer for you. 
Join us for our in-person Shift Happens conference, October 10 to 11 in Washington, D.C. Registration is free. That's right, it's free. And you walk away with actionable strategies from industry leaders and peers to make Shift happen in your digital workplace. Visit shifthappens.to to register today. We'll see you there. I mentioned at the beginning that, you know, one of my big leadership areas of leadership focus is innovation. It's something I thrive on. The other thing that I focus on um, a lot is team morale. It is very important to me. I've always, you know, been very cognizant of, of team morale um, and, and just making sure that it's strong. And, and if it's not kind of getting to the root of it, kind of fixing it, you know, so that's hard to assess. You know, I, I would always kind of walk around and check in on people and um, see how they're doing personally and professionally. And you can't really do that. I mean, you have to have an excuse to meet with someone kind of on Zoom. You can't just pop by their office or see them while they're having coffee. And so I, I think that's one area that it that will be hard to replicate virtually um, because a lot of that happens organically and spontaneously. Um, and, and, and it's important. People's morale is so important um, because it affects how they come to work and affects their job and or their satisfaction of their job. So yeah, I, I do look forward to to being back in person for that. Yeah, like you, I, I miss that. I, I think about it and I call it serendipitous collision, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. You're in one place because technology is great, but you can't schedule like if you think about it, you're in the office, even if you have a meeting, as you walk out the meeting, then you start talking about other stuff. Or you suddenly talk about some idea. Hey, everybody, what do you think about this? Or you see some, some, somebody walks in with a certain uh, facial reaction. Uh, what's going on? How can I help? Right. So I do miss that too. Uh, until they can replicate virtually, serendipitous collision is something. Uh, <laughs> I love that. I, I, am, I may quote you. I'll quote you on that. It's great. Oh, there you go. Hashtag serendipitous collision. Right? <laughs> you know, you mentioned earlier, Shelly, around when, when March hit, there were students already in session and they got caught halfway uh, through their semester. For those that are about to graduate or looking for help with career placement, how is Georgetown dealing with that? What mechanisms did uh, the, your career team have put in place so they can help place students for their future jobs? Yeah. So the, the good thing is that our career center had coincidentally started preparing for virtual recruitment, even in prior to COVID. But I think about a year ago, we had invested in, in, in cameras for all of our interview rooms in the career center because some companies had started recruiting virtually. So you know, there are some, you know, major tech giants, uh, not to mention any names, but that didn't necessarily have to come to campus because they received many, many applications. And so it was kind of the, we don't need to come to you, you can come to us um, and we can do virtual recruitment and, and, and companies that recruit heavily at Georgetown that are top employers. And so we were starting to see that creep in anyway. So thankfully, when when COVID did hit, we um, we already kind of had a playbook to go by. Now that playbook had to be scaled, right? We had to now say, all right, students, you're doing complete virtual recruitment. Um, you know, companies started or companies stopped traveling. So it wasn't even that the companies wanted to come to campus to interview and recruit our students. They were all virtual and their companies were not allowing them to travel. Yet they as companies still needed to recruit students. And we 
had students that still need to be recruited. So on both sides, we had a job to do. And, and luckily, you know, both our career center and our students were kind of prepared for that technological shift anyways. So that's, that's how the interview portion is gone. Now, the other side of career recruiting was employers used to come on campus and do information sessions or networking events. We would always have four or five top employers on campus every week, but that's moved virtually. You know, you can do an information session online. Now, you know, I don't want to paint it as all rosy, right? Because there is the element of recruiting and networking that are the casual conversations, right? The casual happy hour conversations or the casual coffee conversations that happen organically between sessions or before and after the interview, you know, that can't be replicated. And so, um, but on both sides, I think we're all doing our best. And actually, from what I'm hearing from the Career Center this fall, we've had more events this fall than we ever have because now there are no borders. There are no travel costs. Um, so, yeah. So I know a lot of our listeners here realize that virtual recruitment or virtual job application is pretty much the new norm, at least for the next two years. Any advice do you offer when doing virtual interviews or when when they, they look at potential employers, some tips and tricks when they do it virtually versus in person? Yeah, so our career center has created kind of an entire training and recruitment guide, you know, simple things like all of our students have branded backgrounds, right, that have their the Georgetown logo and their name in the, the corner so that constantly both Georgetown and their name are reinforced in the in the recruiter's mind. There are, um, you know, kind of email um, templates as well as how do you kind of follow up and connect. So there, we're going through lots of training sessions on how to prepare students for that, that networking um, aspect. But, you know, at Georgetown, one of the big areas that always helps students to get jobs and to get interviews were alumni connections. And even pre-COVID, most of those connections were happening virtually, right? Like connecting with someone through LinkedIn, setting up a call with them, you know, setting up a, a coffee, which is now a virtual coffee or Zoom session. So that alumni connection is still there uh, to get your foot in the door and to, to get perspective. And so that definitely has, has kept the same. Awesome. I'm, I'm sure uh, a lot of people appreciate that advice as they're uh, maybe potentially looking to their next uh, uh, career growth. So looking back at the last few months, Shelley, what would you say is the key for an education institution like Georgetown to continue to shift successfully and innovate, as you've described it, to changing external factors, be it immediate external factors or long-term factors that you know it's going to happen? So, our job in, in a business school is to train leaders for the future of work and to train leaders for uh, what's next. And I think I can speak for any industry to say that the way we do work post-COVID will not be the same um, because we will have learned ways to be more efficient. We will have learned, tried innovative practices that maybe we were risk averse to try prior, but, but we did out of necessity and now we found success. And so people that are going through a, a live case study of, of crisis management and change and are learning how to navigate it and are, you know, frankly, in class, listening to various alumni and different companies come in and tell them this is how our company is dealing with change and crisis management, they will be trained for whatever large change or whatever large crisis you know, they encounter in the future, um, you know, whether 
God forbid it's a, it's a something like COVID, but it, it, it could be another, it could be economic uncertainty, whatever it is, we're training leaders to deal with that. And I think um, they will be better for it uh, from a, from a training perspective. So it's, it's very important for everyone to be comfortable with being uncomfortable, right? Yes. Yep. Well, Shelly, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, for everybody who's curious to find out and learn more about the MBA program at Georgetown, where can they uh, learn more about it? Um, so we have many virtual information sessions. So I would definitely in- encourage you to log in. Um, we have ways to learn more about the program, ways to look at the application process. We would love to connect you with our current students. And so just to get a flavor of what an MBA is and how it could help you in your future. Um, so you can visit choosegeorgetownmba.com and we would be happy to you know, share more information. And I'd also be happy to uh, to, to speak with people as well. Again, thank you, Shelly. Thank you, everybody, for listening. If you've enjoyed this conversation, we would appreciate if you've subscribed. Until the next time, be safe, wash your hands, and wear your mask. Take care. Shift Happens Podcast. Thanks for listening. There's no question that the university experience has changed forever, even when more of us return to the physical classroom. With a strategic and personable approach, collaboration tools have the power to engage students and connect them with new opportunities. I'm inspired by Shelly and her colleagues who are working hard to sustain Georgetown traditions while forging a new digital path. Balancing our online and in-person world is most definitely a lesson we'll all need to learn. Before you go, I have a homework assignment. If you like what you hear, please leave a review for the Shift Happens podcast on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen. Okay, class, dismissed. Shift Happens Podcast is a production of AbPoint, Inc., produced and edited by the AbPoint brand team. Stay up to date on the latest trends in digital workplace transformation by visiting AbPoint.com.